Okay, the scripture this morning is Luke 16, 1 through 13. Then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? Am I not strong enough to dig? Am I and am I ashamed to beg? I have decided what, I, what to do with that, so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. And he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifty. Then he asked another, and how much do you owe? He replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the, into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a little, in very little, is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the, rich, the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Luke has a bit of a hard time with this parable. And if the person relaying the message of Jesus has a hard time, then it's not out of the realm of possibilities that we will also have a hard time. Luke adds a lot of information after this parable that seems not to fit, just that, that seems to be contradicting Jesus about what he had just said about the rich man and his manager. But really, it is perhaps a key into understanding, that the, par understanding the parable in the first place. Like a few of Jesus' parables, there are different ways that it, that it gets interpreted based on what context we bring to the table while we're reading it or listening to it. It feels like Jesus is praising dishonesty. But that obviously cannot be the case. That is not what we know about Jesus. A better title for this parable should be the manager who switched sides, rather than the parable of the dishonest manager, which is usually highlighted in our Bibles. His dishonesty is not where he ended up, but where he came from. And where we come from is not as important as where we end up. 
When we read and tell parables, we start to formulate the players into the roles that we know. For example, Jesus is the shepherd and we are the lost sheep. God is the father and we are the prodigal children, and so on. So the first thing that gets done in this parable is to try to make God the character of the landowner. In this instance, it's not exactly the case. At the time of Jesus, the rich folk all lived in the southern regions, and, and their main money source was in real estate. So the Romans who lived in Caesarea or different places by the sea would have land that they owned near Galilee and in the north, where wheat, wine, and olives could be cultivated. It was a tenant, tenant farmer system, not different than the ones that we know about in our own contexts. The rich would tax the tenants and demand that the goods they sowed would go to the landowners in the south. The managers were the middlemen, those that would take a cut too, in theory, helping things run smoother. They were the middle class. Their success depended on the wealth of the rich, hoping that the excess, excess of the absentee landlords would trickle down to them. In the story today, the landowner was upset because the manager was not driving every ounce of labor or product out of the farmers. The landowner felt that the manager was being soft on the farmers. And finally, after who knows how long, after who knows how many conversations or years that the manager had been hearing this from the landowner, the manager's loyalties shift from the side of what's best for the landowner to what's best for the farmer. Rather than trying to work his way up and impress those who could potentially help him raise his station in life, he began to serve those who were below him, those that were considered the lowest. The manager realized that he meant nothing to the landowner. And that is how those below him must have felt. So he changes. He changes his heart. He changes his loyalty. So he takes it upon himself to create a more just system. The system that was in place was awful. It bordered more on loan sharking than just regular contract. Interest rates were jacked up, taxes weren't proportionate, and the tenant farmers were suffering. The farmers weren't able to farm food for their families because they had to work double or even triple in the fields of the cash crops. They were having to choose between farming wheat that they could turn into bread and eat and olives that they could sell and send down to the landowner. In the old system, the manager would make money by charging the farmers extra. So they would have an amount owed to the landowner and an amount owned, owed to the manager. It all reminds me of a company that I used to work for. The main client gave a company a large sum of money to handle their customer assistance. And that company 
hired another company who hired me. Each one taking some money off the top so that the actual workers were suffering. When the manager changed sides, when he started to work for a more just system, he gave up his profit. He went around to the different farmers saying, what do you owe the landowner? Knowing that his fee is included in that number. And he made the change that would help the farmers. He was dismantling the quid pro quo, which when we look back to the beginning of this arc in Luke, is exactly what Jesus is telling us to do. When we invite people to dinner, do not invite those that you know you are going to get something from. The manager is not going to try to impress the landowner. He is going to help those who have less, who need the help, and won't be able to pay him back. When we break down the quid pro quo, we do not get material goods or money back. We receive something greater, something eternal. We receive a heart worthy of the kingdom of God. This particular parable is almost all of the previous parables wrapped up into one. Jesus says to invite the riffraff to dinner, and the manager helps the farmers. He is searching for the one while the 99 are left. In the beginning of the story, he was called a wasteful or prodigal manager. So how do we take this parable and put it into our daily lives, into regular practice? We have to ask ourselves some questions. And I know, you know a lot of us, especially me, don't like a lot of internal checking. Are you constantly working on how others perceive you? Are you worried about climbing the cultural ladder at any cost? Or are you looking out for those who are oppressed by the system? A few things happen in the parable. The, the manager ends up poorer because he gives up his share of the profits, but he is richer in relationship with not only the farmers, but with God. He becomes poorer in his purse, but richer in his eternity. And he isn't cheating the landowner in the process. The landowner is getting all that they are expecting, all that is owed to them. The landowner isn't sacrificing anything to help these people. The manager removed himself from the system, from the constant push to be rich and powerful in order to make himself more equal with those in his midst. midst. Words are hard. There is a balance to the power dynamic, which happens in scripture over and over again. Scripture is full of kings who believe that they are more powerful than God. And they are constantly proven wrong. And so when we arrive at the second part of this passage today, that Luke seemingly jams onto the end, it is actually quite appropriate. 
You cannot serve wealth and God at the same time. And that is wealth with a capital W. Or in the original Greek, it is mammon with a capital M, its own entity. It is not that having money is bad. It is the idolization of wealth. Putting yourself or others at risk in order to sustain money and power is idolatry. Allowing others to be harmed so that one can become rich is idolatry. The problem is sacrificing relationship with God and with others to make more money. We have all heard a phrase, money is the root of all evil, and that phrase is actually misquoted. It is not that money is the root of evil, it is the love of money that is the problem. Money runs things. It's the truth of our culture and society. We have to have it. But when we become obsessed with our lack of or just the general, the amount in general, we start to lose focus on the true message, on the eternal wealth and treasure that is the good news of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Yes, we need to keep the lights on and the doors open so that we can provide the good news to the community so that we can be a beacon of hope for those who have lost theirs. So that the love, mercy, grace, and salvation of Jesus Christ can reach as many people as possible. But what good is illumination and openness if we aren't going to share it with others? As a church and as the people of God, we have to make sure we are using money for people, not using people for money. The value of a person lies much deeper than what they can do for the bottom line. One of the commentators for this passage wrote, the kingdom of God has little to do with fairness. It has little to do with keeping proper ledgers and making sure everyone gets their due. The kingdom of God is about relationships. It is about reconciliation. It is about forgiving your debts as we forgive debtors. It is not an easy story to hear. Sometimes it is even harder to live. It doesn't make economic sense. Jesus has a funny way sometimes of not making sense in our own minds. Jesus challenged the common understanding over and over again. He challenged the way of the empire for the ways of the kingdom. He spends a lot of time reminding us that just because it was one way for centuries does not mean it is the way it should be or the way that it is heading. Jesus asks us not to play, what have you done for me lately? But rather focus on what can I do for you? Jesus freely gives the gifts of salvation and freely gives the option to turn our hearts and our minds around to helping 
rather than harming. Through Jesus Christ, we are given a daily opportunity to decide where our loyalties lie. The choice is not as difficult as some would like us to believe. Jesus and all that he is and represents is always the answer. Amen.